0: Let's hack the process together. Scaling a business means combining a can do mindset with the ability to picture how it's all going to work when you're not the only one spinning the gears. Fortunately for the startups working at Launchpad co working spaces, CEO Chris Schultz and President Ann Driscoll bring combined experience scaling companies like Google and building multiple entrepreneurial ventures. In this episode of Hack the Process, Ann and Chris, along with their baby Harper, tell us the advantages of integrating life and work instead of struggling to balance them, explain how technology and modern tax laws are enabling more location-independent lifestyles, and discuss the opportunities that can come from matching venture capitalists with small businesses all across the country. Today I'm speaking with Chris Schultz and Anne Driscoll, and they are the CEO and President of Launchpad, Chris and Ann, how are you doing today?
1: We're doing great, David. How are you?
0: So far so good. I was really interested to talk with you because I know there are a lot of companies in your space. Can you tell us a little bit about what Launchpad is doing these days?
2: Sure. So Launchpad is a network of co-working spaces. We're focused on what we call momentum yeah. markets, and so in a lot of cases that's the world outside of San Francisco, you know, the rest of this the places around the country where people are working entrepreneurially, building companies. And we started in New Orleans. Now we're open in Newark, Nashville, and Memphis, Tennessee, and are expanding to 30 new cities over the next two years.
0: Wow. Now, that's a really eclectic selection of cities. I'm curious how you chose those places, especially coming from San Francisco to start with.
2: Yeah. So we'll each sort of give our origin story around how we came to be working together and with Launchpad. San Francisco is not where I started. I'm new to San Francisco in the last three years. New Orleans is where I got my start and and the start of Launchpad. So I have always had sort of an outside the Bay Area looking in, outside Silicon Valley looking in attitude. And I think that has inspired a lot of the, the mission driven nature of Launchpad. But our focus is around. You know, great American cities, and for right now, American. Eventually, we, we'd like to expand internationally as well. But great American cities, and these are the types of cities that people have great quality of life, sort of cultural, historic assets, places that people want to travel to and visit, and you know, they also are places that you can still afford to buy a home. So when you know, the in the Bay Area, there's a survey last year that 50% of the people in the Bay Area. Are ready to leave the Bay Area, these would be the places that they're, they're considering they might be moving to and places where we can help catalyze
0: the entrepreneurial ecosystem. It's a great mission to take on. I know certainly having spent a lot of time in the Silicon Valley startup scene out here, it does get kind of taxing for people who are trying to afford housing and try to stay in the area where supposedly all of the jobs are, although we're becoming more flexible about where jobs have to be located.
1: That's right. And I think that's a real reason why we've been looking at momentum markets, David, because if we think about what has happened in technology, it really is the ability to create these great tech-enabled startups now and be able to really understand and do those from anywhere. And the future of work really is about being able to design the exact work and have that agency to become an entrepreneur. You know, I think one of the things that we're seeing in these momentum markets is that great companies can be built anywhere. And so after all the time in the Valley, one of the things that I really have been inspired by is the sort of spirit of entrepreneurship and actually the small business owner. And so I think what we really have seen at Launchpad is the ability to create a hub and a platform where we can support those business owners in the creation of theirs and understanding that for most people, the ability to be able to work flexibly and oftentimes remotely allows them to actually build businesses while they're growing humans and raising those humans. And that's what we're doing here while we're on this podcast.
0: Yeah, I I noticed that you've got a friend with you.
1: Yep, I've got our three month old daughter in the background. So while we were on this journey of expansion from New Orleans to our four locations now and raising our seed round, which we just closed, we found out that we were pregnant. And so we've had uh, our own sort of interesting journey in the last few months of going through that process of building our company all at the same time. And I think, you know, that is the reality of work today is, is that if you want to go off on your own, it also means you have to sort of be ready to do that without a net and figure it all out. And that's, that's kind of the fun part about it.
2: We really wanted to raise the bar on the level of difficulty of uh, building
0: a business. So we had a baby. <laughs> turning it up to 11, huh? Right,
1: exactly. It goes there.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it speaks to the work-life balance issues that come up around trying to be the person working in the Bay Area and support the lifestyle that you need here, plus raising a family, plus running a business, plus being an entrepreneur. You're a couple and you're trying to do this together. I'm curious what that's been like.
2: You know, one of the things that I like from a terminology standpoint is Work-life integration rather than work-life balance, because I don't necessarily think it's you know sort of one or the other, and I don't think we're necessarily trying to carve out one or the other. We're trying to integrate work into our lives in doing something we really care about that's meaningful to us, and that we can you know build a family on from an economic standpoint. It's, It's a balance, but we're a fully integrated unit, as you as you can see. We've got our baby joining us here on the podcast, so we don't even have childcare in the mix yet. But you know the truth. Is it, it is hard. It's a challenge, but there's always excuses and reasons along the way not to do it. And then at the end of the day, if you want to work entrepreneurially and have agency in your life and your career, and you know, sort of build a business or build a career that you want to build, you got to get started doing it. And so, we're certainly at the point where there's there's no stopping now.
1: I, I can say that when you know one of the challenges that we do face. First, as a couple working together, the obvious ones are just balancing the all working all the time. And you don't get the chance of going home and saying, oh, Chris drove me nuts today to your spouse or your partner. You actually have to come home to Chris, even if he drove you nuts that day. So I think those are sort of the natural things that come with any partnership, whether you're a co-founder or you're an employee or you're a team member. I think what is also really interesting is, is that. The amount of time we talk about work, to Chris's point about integration, it can blend. And so we can get a little out of whack where all we're talking about is launch pad or all we're talking about is the next thing. And so we have to really watch for that and make sure that we actually are disciplined in not allowing work to seep into every aspect of, of our lives. But at the same time, you know, the reason why it makes it easier is, is that I used to come home. I worked in startups in the valley for many years, very well funded startups and would come at home and talk about building those businesses and thinking about that. And at the end of the day, you know, Chris was working on his business and we were like, well, why, why am I working on building someone else's business when I can actually build my own? And that was a really natural evolution for us. We both had side hustles. We both had other jobs and we sort of decided to come in and full on commit to Launchpad because it ended up being kind of the spirit of what we both cared about. And as we look at the next 10, 20, 30 years, I don't think people of our generation are really thinking about retirement. They're thinking about working purposefully and having jobs that can kind of sustain them over and over time. And running your own company is the best job that you can have.
0: It kind of speaks to that model of work-life integration that you're talking about, where there isn't really a point at which work ends and life begins. It's just what you're doing.
1: That's right. That to me is the ultimate benefit and dream. We don't have jobs anymore. You know, it's just it is our life's work. That's what we'll continue to work on. Fail or succeed.
0: What is it that makes you so passionate about what you're doing specifically with with your company right now? I mean, there are a number of companies in this co-working slash incubator space, and some of them have been very successful, some of them have been very big and taken over some other companies. I'm curious what what makes this special for you?
2: Yeah, obviously it's a sector that is a growing sector and well-defined and there's, you know, the the proverbial 800-pound gorilla in the space with WeWork. I think the thing that makes coworking and what we're doing important to us is the mission orientation of our business. We've had all of these forces, and I like to refer to them as sort of inexorable, the inexorable march of technology that are supposed to be making it easier for all of of us to work entrepreneurially. And this is the power of the internet, the ability for us to connect with people all over the world, the access to information and education. You know, you can basically get resources at your fingertips online with, you know, Y Combinator Startup School or whole catalogs of Khan Academy, you know, information about how to start a business. But the thing that's lacking with all of that is the fabric of community. We started Launchpad to build a physical space, an actual space where people who are working entrepreneurially are together under one roof. And the growth mission has been to catalyze entrepreneurial ecosystems in markets that, that need it and that will benefit from it. And certainly in all of the markets where we've opened, there is entrepreneurial activity. So we don't claim that we are the only match, but we might be you know, sort of that match that really gets the fuse lit in these ecosystems because we can bring the physical space, a sense of community, education and programming designed to help people build businesses, as well as a funding component. And these are cities across the country that have been hit hard You know, New Orleans, our origin story was New Orleans getting hit hard post-Katrina and many of us deciding. Okay, what are we going to do to build back the city? Not to once it what, what it once was, not to the business community where everybody wore seersucker suits all day and you know didn't really let us techie or internet geeks in, but to build the business community that we wanted it to be that included us and that was an inclusive community. And I think that as we look at the rise of automation and you know, the job killers, the robots taking our jobs, and you know, the different industries that have been challenged, there's a lot of people. In this country, that are lacking agency in what they're doing. And there's no easy answer to this. You know, there's notions like, you know, universal basic income and and ways we can create a safety net. But what are we going to create for people to do? And there's just, you know, there's a limitless opportunity if you can take the leap, if you have the support you need to go out and create a business or create a career, create a small business, create a big business and really do it anywhere. So that's the mission of Launchpad is to facilitate and enable people to, to build the life and build the business they want anywhere, and, and truly anywhere, not just in New York and San Francisco, but truly anywhere.
1: Yeah, and I think the space is growing. And there are plenty of brands that are represented there. But I also believe that, you know, people will select the brand or the place they want to work, but based on a number of factors, whether that's, it's actual proximity to where they are or where they want to work, or just sort of that lifestyle or environment that is created there. And I think what we see from our members is that feeling of community sort of always overshadows and that access to the network overshadows sort of any other of the factors. And so that's why we spend a lot of time on the building of the community and the sort of the strengthening of the ties
0: within. I would love to know more about how you manage the logistics of building communities across multiple locations and with the idea of expanding potentially into 30 more.
1: (laughs) I always say one of the best about living in Silicon Valley is this notion that bigger is actually often easier. And so when we think about our expansion into those locations, what that actually affords us the ability to do is create more services and more benefits for our members because we can actually be making them available and spending our investment in sort of programming and leadership and guidance and mentorship and then make that accessible to multiple locations. So we have the ability to do that more than any individual local location. But I also think one of the interesting things around scale and scaling that community is something that we've also learned is is that we really believe in the sort of grassroots approach. We don't kind of come across as a big corporate activity that says, okay, we're going to do these five things in each of the locations. But we basically see ourselves as creating a local and national platform for our members to help do member created or member driven type programming, as well as help us determine. What are the access points? And so what we bring to the table, as Chris said, the opportunity for capital, the opportunity to engage with mentors from across the country in multiple locations. But what our members really bring to the table is unique experiences, understanding, and the ability to catalyze those events that make Launchpads, actual hubs. So rather than just a lunch and learn, our members are actually doing things like we're going to start a grind group, and they're really taking action and making each and every location their own.
0: And so when you use the word programming, in this case, you're talking about programming in terms of developing content that keeps people engaged in the community itself.
2: That's exactly right. Launchpad really becomes a community hub when we open up in a community. And as Anne said, our, our programming is member driven and member led. So we think of Launchpad and what we provide as a platform. After hours, it becomes a community center. So we open up Launchpad locations for meetup groups and you know all sorts of different things that, that we provide free space for on nights and weekends. During the day we have, you know, member led programming and events, but it is really driven by the the needs of the community. And I think that if you look at what the options are when you're, when you're looking to you know, create a business, often it's government funded incubators or sort of more m- much more traditional things that are pretty far from values and mindset of most entrepreneurs at this point. So just by You know, being genuine, building real relationships with our members and really rooting for and trying to support the success of of their businesses or their efforts, we can carve out sort of a unique spot for ourselves in each community.
0: I'm guessing you probably have to be kind of selective about the membership that you encourage or allow to to join in each of those locations.
2: The truth is, it's actually just the opposite. One of our core values is diverse and inclusive, not exclusive. And the roots of that core value actually, from an experience I've had on several occasions, this would be walking into a co-working space. I had one specific experience, which was a co-working space in New York City. When I walked in coming up from New Orleans and I was trying to check it out and they really felt, made me feel like I didn't belong there. You know, they, I said, you know, hey, I'm just here to check it out. I'm an entrepreneur. You know, who are you funded by? Where, where are you in your business? All these types of questions that, you know, basically felt like I didn't deserve to be there. So based on that experience, one of the things that we're trying to do is create an environment that is diverse and inclusive and very, very deliberately inclusive. And so that means we want the membership of Launchpad to be representative of the members of the, of the people who live in the cities that we serve. There's very different access to being encouraged to be an entrepreneur based on your socioeconomic background, based on your education, based on your role models. And so we're, we're deliberately trying to kind of break down those barriers and encourage people to pursue a path of entrepreneurship and we'll support them along the way, you know, without, without a feeling of exclusivity by being a Launchpad member.
0: I love that model. How do you create that sense of inclusivity? Do you have local people running each of the locations that try to sponsor and and bring out that community sense?
2: Yeah, that's exactly where we start. So each Launchpad location is staffed by a local community manager. That community manager is sort of the general manager for that location. They tend to, you know, the background we look for would be people who would be community leaders, maybe running meetup groups, you know, people who live there have had a background in their community and, and have that respect and understanding of what the community needs and how we can kind of serve the community. We also work hard at sort of local, what we call localization efforts. We try to localize every Launchpad location. So in my mind, gone are the days where when you're looking for a brand and a brand that you know might be expanding across the country like we are, or you're not looking for sort of the the McDonald's experience or the Holiday Inn experience where everything looks the same right when you walk in and it's got the same thing on the menu. People really value diversity and interest and creativity. So we hire local artists to do the murals and the painting and help design the space, local coffee, local beer vendors, of course, and then make deliberate outreach into the community to local meetup groups and organizations to use the space. And really think of the space as a community center. So, as Ann was mentioning, the programming and you know, if you walked into a launch pad, you would know it's a launch pad. I hope because of the the welcoming nature of it and the feeling that you get. But you wouldn't necessarily recognize a place each one in a way that you know you know that's a launch pad because they're they're each very unique in their own nature.
0: That's a very cool way to arrange things. Now, this notion of building a business around supporting entrepreneurship, it sounds like a lot of it came out of, Chris, out of your background, since it seems like you've got more of an entrepreneurial background, whereas, and it sounds like you've had more of a traditional employment background that's kind of led you down the entrepreneurial path.
2: I think that's that's true. My career has been a number of zero to one efforts. I've started a number of businesses. In fact, we were going through a proceeding where I was I was taking a look, and I had thirty three different LLCs to my name. Uh, so I've I've tried a lot, <laughs> and then you know I like to say that Anne brings the scale. To the table. So where Launchpad, since its founding and prior to Anne coming on board was, was a one location business in New Orleans, since Anne came on board about a year and a half ago and became partnered on it, we have begun the scaling process and that's Anne's expertise. So hopefully that makes us a good team here.
1: Yeah. And I think it's fair. I've obviously spent some time on the employee side of the coin and different, certainly in different office jobs, I mean, the benefit of actually working in Silicon Valley and working for companies like Google and having experiences like I did at Ning and Dwolla was, you know, there is a sense of sort of it's a, it's a different approach to work. And there's a sense of sort of audacity that comes from that that kind of gives you this high level of confidence and a willing to swing big, which I don't think you get as much in the corporate world. And so, you know, as much as I've been able to do that over the years... I think the other piece of that is I was really honing or trying to find my purpose. And over those years, I think what I realized was my purpose, I keep getting smaller and smaller, right? So going from growing Google from 3,000 to 20,000 down into other companies that I was doing sort of different, like go-to-market strategy to find product market fit And ultimately, what really thrills me about this phase is is that I think the purpose that I found was that all of that's great, but it's really, really fun when you sort of take the governors off and you sort of have to face yourself in the morning on that journey of figuring out the business together. And I think it, it just took me a little longer to get my entrepreneurial roots, and I really... I admire and envy the folks that we support and that we're working with who are much earlier in their careers and are taking that risk. And I would say, you know, there has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. There's never been a better time to be able to take risks and to have the sort of resources and access points available to you. And at any time, whether you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, or even 60, you know, now is the time to take those risks. And and I feel like I've never been more energized and had more impact than stepping out of that kind of corporate job and, and really knowing what I'm gonna do with where we're gonna go.
0: It sounds like integration is the key word between the two of you, because you're integrating that strong experience with corporate jobs and also that strong experience with entrepreneurship and seeing how they merge and create something new as we're moving into a new age.
1: Although don't get me wrong, David, I would really like the benefits and the time off that I would have had at one of those
2: jobs right now. <laughs> you don't have the corporate lunch program that Google has
1: <laughs> <laughs> or the five months of maternity leave
0: <laughs> That's true that's true you know, it's a it's a very different experience but if you structure your business around the idea that you want to build in that time off for yourself, that is something that entrepreneurs can create
1: You're exactly right and that to me, When I think about the work that we do and what makes us satisfied is flexibility is our biggest luxury and the ability to design the the roles, the business and the career that we want to have has been, is a pretty lucky position to be in.
0: Now, it sounds like the business model evolved pretty significantly in the last year and a half and that it was going in a different direction before. I'm curious about how that came about
2: if anything the business model and the vision has expanded for the business there's sort of three pieces to the business and part of this is that without getting too wonky our business aligns closely with with a new tax legislation called opportunity zones this was a tax legislation that was passed last year and is meant to support the growth of businesses in low income census tracts, and all four launchpad locations happen to be in opportunity zones right now. If you're an entrepreneur looking for funding or starting, starting a business, it'd be worthwhile to note and see if you can figure out if you're in an opportunity zone, because there are investors that are looking for investment opportunities in, in opportunity zones. At any rate, our model has expanded to buying buildings and redeveloping historic buildings with developers and investors. in cities and, and in these opportunity zones, we then run a launch pad location in the opportunity zone in that business, which sort of catalyzes, you know, when you run a co-working space, you've got a lot of great people around every day. And that fuels retail and one in our Newark location we're above a Whole Foods as well as residential. There's people that can live there as well. So there's sort of those those pieces to the model that are catalyzed by the launch pad being in there. And then in addition to that, a venture capital arm. So one of the things we find time and time again is that entrepreneurs particularly entrepreneurs in parts of the country that aren't Boston, New York, and California really struggle for funding and there are local angel groups and maybe some you know investors who might have sort of that pound of flesh investment mentality where they have sort of egregious terms and, you know, want to establish a board and really want to take control of the company. And they often think they're smarter than the entrepreneur. And then there's also growth capital. If you've got a company that's growing like a weed, the investors from Silicon Valley will jump on a plane and and come see you, but otherwise they're not that interested. So that gap between sort of local angel groups and growth capital is something, is a gap that we're working to fill through our fund.
0: That's interesting. So it sounds like you're kind of doing sourcing on both sides because you're helping to source interesting startups for venture capitalists who might otherwise not be exposed to them and also expose those entrepreneurs in areas where it's difficult to attract a venture capitalist.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think that's a big part of what we're doing. Is and and Ann was res- referencing sort of building the network. A lot of this is just an in information you know asymmetry. There are great companies that if people knew they existed, people would be interested in, but. You know, there is a regional and local network of relationships that naturally exist in different cities and certainly does in the Bay Area. And one of the questions we ask is, how do we break down barriers for people? How do we break down barriers to building a business, to being able to, you know, get on a plane, go out to Silicon Valley? And when the VC tells you the only way you'll be successful is to actually move out here, you can tell them, no, thank you very much, but I'm very happy in Memphis. I'm going to move home, but I'm able to actually be successful and create a company
0: there. And that's a wonderful message to share with people because a lot of people do think that they are dependent on specific locations and really that's what the technology revolution has been about all of this location independence that it's afforded us. Exactly that's exactly right. So the idea for this started with the co-working space itself. was the incubator part and the venture capital and the sourcing was that part of the business model from the very start or is that something that's evolved?
2: It's something that's evolved. Most of what we've done, we've done organically and frankly, in a very bootstrapped way. So we, you know, we do what we can when we can. I'm a big advocate for bootstrappers, although we just raised our first round of capital to continue to grow up to this point. We've been a bootstrap business and I think that's a great, great way to get started. But it's definitely been an evolution to get here, and in particular with the investment side of the business, it started very organically. I started meeting great entrepreneurs, people who were working at Launchpad, and realized, oh, wait, we've got the opportunity to actually write the first check. Example would be a company called Lucid it started with the CEO sitting at a co-working desk at Launchpad paying 250 bucks a month. And he, you know, over breakfast shared about his vision. We got to know each other. And sure enough, I was fortunate to be able to write the first check as an investor into his business and they've grown and now are over 300 employees and have just raised the 60 million dollar round of capital. So those are the, those are the opportunities you get to come across when you're working with people at very early stages of their business.
0: That must be so gratifying. And I know that it's really energizing to be working with people who have that entrepreneurial spirit, who are building something.
2: It is. It is. And I think, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is that Launchpad is focused on people working entrepreneurially. I like to use that term because to me, it's a broad definition. And what it comes back to is people who are focused on having agency in their career. They want to do what they want to be doing. They don't get up and go to a job that they hate every day, a soul-sucking job that you know that they go to an office and come home from work and complain to their spouse about. So this, this to me is a definition that reflects a, a lot of different types of work. One might be starting a startup in a high-growth company. It might be hanging out a shingle. Leaving a big corporate law firm and hanging out your shingle as a lawyer, professional service provider might be starting a small agency, you know, web development agency or a PR agency. And it often is working remotely and there's more and more companies that are hiring remotely. When you work remotely, it can be a bit lonely and you have a need for a community. So we've got a lot of members who are working for companies. They're working for their dream company, but they're doing it not where that company is based. And I think more and more people are going to be able to work that way. And, you know, sort of that common thread is the notion of agency. In all of those cases, people are being very deliberate in their choice of how they're working and how they're how they're building their career or their build their business, and it's
0: those types of people that we like to attract to Launchpad, and we think are you know make up a great community. That's a really interesting point because not everybody who's working in a Launchpad type situation is going to be an entrepreneur trying to start their own business. A lot of these people are traditional employees, but they're employees in a new way, in the sense that they have that location independence.
2: That's exactly right. That's exactly right, and I think more and more people are going to be able to have that type of career. One of the things that we see a lot and more and more people are having, you know, sort of multi-dimensional careers, thinking about side hustles and you might have your day job or or a contract gig or something that provides some stability. And then, you know, in the, you know, the other part of your day or however you divide your time, you're working on a passion project or something creative. And it may not be for the economics. It may be because you really, you really care about it. And I think more and more people are, are working,
0: that way. And, you know, clearly you are both working that way right now in the sense that you're working from home, you've got your child with you, and you're still right in there doing everything. Exactly. We show up to the podcast
2: with you, with, with our baby. And yeah, that's exactly right. We're working that way. I think, you know, a lot of the traditional factors is in employment of, you know, the commute and uh, the dress code and all these various things. People in a new generation might find as inefficiencies in the system. And I just want to get my work done and I want to get my work done when I want and where I want. And I think, you know, again, that's one of those inexorable marches. That's That's a thing that technology is enabling for us. And, you know, there's no
0: reason to expect that to reverse. I used the, the phrase work-life balance before, and you were talking about work-life integration. What does your routine look like? How, how do you two manage your time? You're three, actually.
2: <laughs> do you want to take that? or
1: We'll see how it all works out. at a new world order, but we do a couple of things. We actually make Monday a meaningless day, unless it's sort of something urgent and external. And that helps us sort of transition into the week in a way that we're actually getting work done as opposed to it's very easy to be like, well, let's meet on that on Monday. So I think that's one of the things that we've created some discipline around so that we actually have a work day where we can kind of really think about that on a day-to-day basis, especially right now where we're kind of managing the timing around childcare and things like that. But you know, Chris will get up at six o'clock in the morning and our team is obviously a virtual team and it works around the world and the country. And so that six o'clock time is actually really important. So we start our day really early for the West Coast, but then what it allows us to do is get the work done, get things happening and then be able to be available for meetings here and in person during the day. Chris takes that sort of shift and I, I come online after our childcare arrives around nine o'clock. And then we basically, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, are available for meetings with folks. And then on Fridays, what we try to do is we use Friday morning as our TGIF. So as opposed to a lot of companies where they do it in the evening, we actually do it in the morning with the idea that it's a great way to sort of recap the week, have more of a strategic conversation around where the business is going. And then we save our Fridays for more of the kind of forward-looking meetings. So we want to talk to people about potential partnership or... We want to just dream big or be there to support our team. So it's when we have sort of very unstructured, unfiltered things where we can have one-on-ones. Because as a remote team, one of the biggest challenges we have is actually getting enough time face-to-face and supporting each other. And then a key factor for us in terms of our success and our work-life integration is, is that regardless of what we're doing or where we've been, at the end of each day, oftentimes around the dog and around Dolores Park in the dog park with the ball, we spend a good chunk of time actually kind of debriefing and talking about our strategy. And so we found that one of the really great things is that oftentimes when you end your day, you're like, let's go for happy hour, or I just want to blow off some steam or I want to get rid of it. We actually see it as a point and a chance for us to ground and just have some sort of very easy conversations around what's happening. And we end up realizing that more than any other place I've been and Even for Chris, we spend a lot more time talking about our strategy on a really regular basis as a result. And so that little bit of time at the park where we're sort of winding down and having those fun conversations ends up meaning that we're always doing a check in on where we're going and how we're solving for the bigger things rather than the sort of day to day activities that we always, you know, can always consume a lot of everyone's space.
0: That's really interesting. So not only have you made the work week kind of an untraditional structure with unusual days at the beginning and the end, so that you've got a little bit more flexibility to think, but you're also doing location independence even within your own city and putting strategic thinking into Dolores Park instead of trying to do it at the office in front of a computer.
1: That's right. And we'll do it on a hike or we'll do it wherever. But I actually think that when you talk about work-life balance or work-life integration, one of the best things entrepreneurs can do is to think about, you know, where are you doing your best thinking? And it's not oftentimes sitting around a whiteboard in a conference room. It's much more going to be engaged in whether you go for a walk or a hike or you just spend a little time outside of the office. And that makes a huge difference. And I think that's something that we really encourage. You know, our team, ourselves, but also the entrepreneurs working in our space, which is, it's not always about the conversations that happen in the office. It's the ones that are happening when you sort of take yourself out of that space. And that's worked really well
0: for us. That's a very keen insight. I don't think that a lot of people who work day to day in offices get, even get the opportunity to think about where they work the best.
1: That's exactly right. And I think one of the things about that notion of working in an office is I think a lot of time gets caught up in forced meetings. I mean, I know back in in my job days, I, I can remember days on days on days of 8.30 to 6.30 meetings where you, you literally have no work time, no sort of concept time, you're eating lunch at your desk, and it almost gets into a routine. And the problem with routine is, is that it actually shuts off portions of our brain. And it makes us sort of fall into that repetitive nature of things. And routine is great in a lot of cases. I I could probably use a little more routine in my life, but the reason why routine is there so that it's repetitive and it's strange and it's not very inspiring. And so I think that idea of like, get out, spend some time in fresh air, exercise your muscles, get a break. Chris will also, he has his own rituals around working out every day, whether he goes for a run, he gets to the top of Bernal Heights, he takes a break, He thinks about what he's going to do. And he talks about how when he gets back to his desk, he doesn't want to jump into email. He actually wants to spend the next hour writing or the next hour thinking or the next hour building strategy because he's been able to clear their head. Whichever that inspiration is, I think we all have to sort of find that.
0: And I, I like that. And it sounds like these spaces that you're creating for people are encouraging that kind of a different approach to thinking about how people work together and how they spend their time.
1: Yeah. One of the greatest reviews I got was actually just recently in Newark where I ran into someone who is, he's a traditional sales guy and he runs a sales team of five or so folks. And he came up to me and he's like, I had no idea how inspiring an environment could be. I love meeting these people. I'm connecting with these people. I'm meeting all kinds of different people and they even like me and I'm a sales guy. And I just thought that was such a, a, it was a funny (laughs) remark, but it was also something that's really interesting, right? Which is, part of the benefit of these spaces, if done right, and if they foster that spirit of community is is that people who would not have necessarily connected are getting a chance to connect. And what we'll often hear is, is that The first part of challenge of being an entrepreneur is actually selling your stuff. And let's just say, even if you're just a consultant, the idea of getting your first gig or getting your second and your third one, going out and networking is really painful. What we hear from our members is is that it's a lot easier to find that first client standing around the water cooler or standing around the beer keg. And you end up being like, wow, I didn't know you had that skill or I didn't know you were doing that. And you learn all these things. In the course of a daily daily work that you wouldn't naturally learn if you walk into a coffee shop or you go to a networking event. And it's just these sort of informal interactions and collisions that end up yielding great results for our entrepreneurs.
0: That's very cool. And I can see how the, it magnifies the effect of working together because you get the opportunity to see how people who are working in very different ways and really build on each other and leverage that. I'm really curious, though, in particular, you've got a relatively small business right now, especially compared to some of the businesses that you've helped scale in the past. This challenge of going from small to large, I've heard it said that as an entrepreneur, you should try to stay as small as you can for as long as you can. And I'd love to get your opinion on that.
1: So I think when you say that to an entrepreneur, what it is, is master your business before you start to kind of grow beyond your capabilities. And I think there's also a flip side to that, which is, if you only put one foot in front of the other, you may not achieve the dream that you really wanna dream. And sometimes the reason why people are slow in entrepreneurship is because it's it's a very frightening journey and the risk of failure is very high. And the reality is, is that we learn so much from failure that you know taking those big swings is actually pretty important. And not that I'm saying that you should just go and take a bunch of big swings, but I do think that it is important To have a big vision for where you're going and make that as big as possible and then sort of track back and say, here are the steps that I'm going to do to do that. And one reason why I say that is because if you don't have a big enough goal, you'll always sort of hold yourself back. And so I always think that like set that goal, make it as big as possible and then figure out how you didn't make it.
2: One of the lessons I I just want to touch on that last question about stay as small as you can until, until you're ready to get big. I think one of the challenges for me as a founder and CEO over the years was scaling the business beyond myself. It's easy as a founder to to have this constant reoccurring if I if I had the time, I could just do that better than myself, do that better myself than you know anybody on the team or I'd like it done my way. you know the truth is that really got in my way and that can get in your way. And frankly, you can build a great business with that type of leadership, but it will be limiting. At the end of the day, you know really to achieve scale, You have to empower people, enable people to succeed or fail, but do it on their own and, you know, believe in people and set them up to succeed. So I think that, you know, is a little bit of that small versus scaling mentality. If you feel like you've got to do everything yourself, or you could do everything better yourself as a founder, you're probably limiting your growth potential.
1: And it is a balance, right? Because I hear that from founders often, oh, could be their social media strategy or it could be their production or their fulfillment services. Oh, but you know, if I hire somebody, they're not going to do it as well as I would do. They're not going to do it. And I think the balance is, can you enable others to do it almost as well as you could do? Maybe they won't achieve it as well as you are, but if you could enable someone else to get somewhat close, how much impact are you having? And there is a lot of great satisfaction in having employees and having those employees love the work that they're doing and having an impact of your product or your service getting out there and getting more adoption. Those are really wonderful things for entrepreneurs and they make them more obviously more successful. So I think being able to have that passion because on the flip side, You also don't want to be like, well, I don't really care. As long as someone does it, we're good or follow the process. We're a big company. We don't care about that personalized service. You can find that sweet spot where you have that entrepreneurs, I can do it the best, and you can enable someone else to do it almost as good. I think you can see yourself growing very rapidly without losing sight of your customer and what they really want.
0: As long as you have that audacious goal in mind that really keeps you inspired.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: Exactly. That's awesome. It sounds like you two are very well matched. This It's auspicious for the company. How can I tell my listeners how to find you and learn more about what you're doing?
2: Sure. Launchpad is at Launchpad on Twitter, and our website is lp.co. And if you're in Memphis or New Orleans or Newark or Nashville, we'd love to have you come in and check it out. If you're not, we also are expanding and would love to hear what cities we should go to. So let us know. Personally, I'm C. Schultz, C-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z on Twitter and Instagram. And
1: And you can follow me on AED311
2: on Instagram.
0: Fantastic. Well, and Chris, I'm really pleased to meet you and your family. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen next with Launchpad. Thanks so much. This was a pleasure to be here with you.
1: Thanks for being flexible with us.
0: Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.